Hey listeners, my name is Elisha, the founder of the Witnesses Podcast. It's so beautiful to have you listening to our podcast. And I want you to know something that that means a whole lot to me. Thank you for tuning in. And one thing I love to tell all of our listeners is, it's not just about you listening, but listening to understand. Understanding is the most important thing. So important. So, you have to listen, learn, and practice. Thank you so very much and happy listening. Hi, Dave. It's nice to have you on the show. Thank you for honoring the invite. That means a whole lot. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing fabulous. That's How about you? Good. Hope you I'm are. I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm doing fine too. So, before we get started with your introduction, you know, um, we are so much concerned about the development of our listeners in all areas. It's not just about the spiritual part, but in every other part. Because I found out that the solution to the world's problem is knowledge. So we invite um, guests who have triumphed over one situation or another and came out triumphantly to come talk to us about their stories because we believe that um, someone might just be listening and um, what the guest has to say might just transform his or her life. In that way, we tend to change the world. So let us get started with your story. Talk to us about your story, the challenges you faced, the solution, and how you overcame it. All right, let's get started. Sure. Well, thanks again for having me on your show. It's always an honor. Yeah. Um, you guys do all the work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, the hosts do all the work. The, you know, the the guests really have it pretty easy. Um, well, it literally started, you know, a couple of months before I was born. Um, my biological father. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but he hurt his head when he was somehow. And to save his life, they put a plate in the back of his head. And two months before I was born, he, he complained about a lot of pain to my mom all the time about it. It was very painful. Um, but without the plate, it, he wouldn't have made it. So anyway, two months before I'm born, he turns to mom and he says, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. And we never saw or heard from him again. So when I was born, I was born to a single mom. She already had two boys. Uh, she was living with her her mother, my grandmother, and another cousin of ours. So there were six of us living in a one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood, California. Mom was working up the street at the Roosevelt Hotel as a server. Great hotel, beautiful hotel. And the bottom line is... She couldn't feed all of us. There were six of us. There were six mouths to feed. And, um, you know, she just couldn't do it. She tried. She worked really hard. She worked two jobs, three jobs sometimes. Um, we were living in, a, again, that little one-bedroom apartment. And a few years later, um, when I was around five years old, my mom, knowing that she couldn't feed me, went to her older sister and said, Pat, we're struggling. Will you adopt David? 
And Pat, her oldest sister, and her husband at the time, Bob, uh, adopted me. So now I moved from Hollywood, California, to Long Beach, California. Hmm. My dad, who now has adopted me, you know, my uncle by 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 you know all standards, mm-hmm. but I mean, he was my dad. He was the guy that there was raised me, right? Yeah. He was he was he was um, uh, military, career military, okay. highly decorated in World War II, regular army, National Guard, um, and so we had a good life. We had a nice house. We always had food on the table. We never needed anything. The bills were always paid. Uh, they were pretty good with money. Uh, but they both had a drinking problem. Now, when they adopted me at five, they swore off the alcohol. They promised, you know, they weren't going to drink and they did pretty well until I was 11 years old on the first day of summer in 1964. Right. Uh, they, they literally brought me in the kitchen that morning and said, David, sit down. We need to tell you something. And they set me down and what they proceeded to tell me was, David, we're not your parents. What do you mean? You're not my parents. What does that mean? Yeah. Right. Uh, It's like taking somebody outside and saying, Hey, see the sky. It looks blue. Well, it's not really blue. Well, I don't know. It looks pretty blue to me. And so they, you know, they look like my parents to me. Yeah. And uh, so that was a very confusing moment in my life at 11 years old on the first day of summer, 64. And then shortly after that, after they told me that, they both started drinking. Really? And that's when things got rough. Uh, Pat, my, my, you know, my mom, if you will, um, she was kind of a happy drunk. You know, she would pass out, but she wasn't mean. She wasn't nasty. Yeah. Where Bob, on the other hand, he was. He was Ooh. violent. He was... Yeah, he wasn't. He he turned into a not a very nice guy when he was drinking, and so I was the intermediator, if you will. I was the negotiator. I was the guy that was in the middle of them all the time. I was the one that my mom would drive me to the bar, and go, I'd had to go in the bar and get my dad to come out, and yeah, so it was pretty rough there. Um, so shortly after they started drinking, they went to the grocery store one day. Uh, and they were both gone. And I knew where the booze was. You know, they hit it right over there in plain sight. I knew where it was. Okay. And uh, I went over there and I opened it up and I took a bottle of brandy out and I set it down and I looked at it and I poured it in a cup about half full. Whoa. Boom. Uh-huh. And I drank it. 11 years old. I, I never had a chance. Uh, I believe I was an alcoholic right on the spot. I started thinking alcoholically, acting out. I wanted more. Uh, it was like they poured rocket fuel on top of into my body when I drank it, you know, that 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 glass of brandy for the first time. Yeah. And and then things just kind of escalated from there. By the time I got into junior high school, things weren't good. By the time I got to high school, <clears throat> I was already experimenting with drugs, hard drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was a junior in high school, right after school started, they brought me into the office and said, Alvin, you're a threat to our school. You're out. We're going to expel you. So they literally threw me threw me out of the school, which I didn't care. I kind of liked it, actually. I didn't like going to school. I didn't think there was anything they were teaching me that was going to show me how to make a living. Um, I was kind of already an entrepreneur at that point. point. I had been... Um, um, my mom grew beautiful flowers in the in the backyard, and she used to cut them for me 
and um, she'd make a beautiful bouquet. She had a really great eye for color and mm -hmm. she would arrange them and then she'd put them in a bucket and then she'd put a little bit of seven up in the water okay. when she did that. And those, those, those darn flowers would last two weeks. Ooh. They would outlast any florist simply because she put that seven up in there in the water. So can, can you hear me? But I can't, I can't hear you. I was hearing you before. I can't hear you now. No, no. That that was getting interesting already. <laughs> okay. Let's hold on a bit. So it says it this time. It's working now. It switched my microphone for some reason. It switched okay. it to another microphone. It took it off this one and went okay. with another one. I have no idea. Okay. All right. Let's, let's, so you let's just want to. Yeah. So, uh, what do you remember the last thing I was talking about there? Um, now you got um, chased from the school, dropped out. Right. Uh, so I was talking about. Um, I grew up across the street from a golf course, hmm. and uh, it was interesting because at a young age I learned something very, very uh, interesting about golfers. They pretty much suck at the game. Okay. Uh, and so I would take my bicycle and I'd ride the perimeter of the golf course and what i would do is i'd find the golf balls that they hit over the fence i'd bring them home and clean them and then i'd put them in a box that you know like a golf a golf ball box and i'd go back into the parking lot and i'd sell them back to the golfers um i had a paper route i made money there so i was basically an entrepreneur at a very very young age um you know, selling flowers on the street corner. I was hustling golf balls. I had a paper route. <clears throat> you know, I started working at the golf course. So, you know, what I learned at a very, very young age, there's money out there. Go get it. Um, and then basically from there, once, you know, once I got kicked out of high school, um, you know, things got worse. My drug addiction got worse. The alcoholism got worse. Um, I, I ended up I, I, I got, I was in my third marriage. I'm going to, I'll move this forward here to when I got sober. Um, on June 8th of 1988, I woke up, I was married to a woman. She had three kids. They were my stepkids. And when I woke up that morning, I was in excruciating pain. I, um, emotional pain, physical pain. I was addicted to heroin, cocaine, alcohol, cigarettes. I was, I was in a lot of trouble. And I thought at the moment, you know, the only way to stop the pain was to put a bullet in my head. And I thought about that for a minute. And I go, Dave, you can't do that. Because those, because I was living in the basement, the rest of the family was living upstairs. I remember thinking, you know what, if you do that and you take your own life, you're going to ruin those kids' life. Yeah. yeah. You can't do that. That's just wrong, man. You, you, yeah, you may have, your problems may be over. Uh, but now you're going to destroy their life and you can't do that. And so I ended up calling Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. And what was interesting about that is, I, you know, Alicia, I, I didn't even know what AA was. I didn't know who Alcoholics Anonymous was. I didn't know anybody in AA. I'd never been to AA. And yet there was the thought. So anyway, I called them. I got a wonderful woman on the phone. She helped me. And then she sent a man to come pick me up. And so he took me to my first meeting that day. In fact, I went to four meetings on day one. 
I went to a 12 30, and 8 30. And they gave me a chip and it said 24 hours on it. And then uh, I came back the next day and the next day and the next day and a week turned into a month. When I got a month, they gave me another chip. They gave me a chip at one month, two months, three months, six months, nine months, and one year. And uh, this last June 8th, um, I, I picked up a chip for 35 years. So what happened there was along the way was I had insomnia. So when I was coming home from AA, I was my sleep patterns were all over the place. I was up late at night all the time. Well, I'm up late at night one night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and there he is. You know, Mr. Motivation himself, Tony Robbins, a young Tony Robbins, is selling personal power. And it was called a 30-day program for total success. This is in 1988. And um, I bought the program. I thought, you know what? This guy, he said a couple things that got me. One, he said, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, wow, that's profound because that's why I'm drinking and drugging. I'm either chasing pleasure or I'm trying to avoid pain. So that resonated with me. The other thing he said was, how we make decisions in life is out of inspiration or desperation. And I was pretty desperate. So I bought his program. They sent it to me, uh, came in a big box, came on these little white things called cassette tapes. Some of your audience aren't even going to know what those are, right? (laughs) Um, So anyway, I plugged them in. I did what the man taught me to do, and it worked. And it literally transformed my life. So now I've got the personal development industry and Alcoholics Anonymous, and they've come into my life at the same time. And it was a profound, profound experience. And then years later, uh, Tony Robbins came to my hometown live where he brought the firewalk. This is the firewalk. Firewalk is where you literally walk on hot coals, right? Coals that are 1,000 degrees, you literally walk on them. And so he came to town. I, I did the firewalk. And it was um, definitely, that moment was definitely one of the most life-changing experiences I'd ever gone through. And um, after the firewalk, I literally got involved with Tony's companies. I became a volunteer, and then I became a subcontractor. And um, in 2000, and this was all happening in 95, 96. In 2003, I took over all of Tony Robbins' firewalks globally. And uh, in fact, my family and I went on, on, on the road with them, with, with, really? with Tony Robbins. And my job was to set up all the firewalks, do all the training. He'd bring out 9,000 people. We'd firewalk them. We'd clean mm-hmm. it up. We'd go to the next city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2014, I got a call from Google. And they, you know, they called me wondering if I'm the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins. Yeah, what can I do for you? Well, if you're not under any contractual obligation, then, you know, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you. (laughs) Google's calling me to hire me, right? Which is pretty intense. Yeah. And they did. And they did. And so when that happened uh, in 2000, that when Google called me, that was 2014. Okay. Um, And that's when Firewalk Productions was born. And shortly after we did Google, we did them two years in a row. I was at NASA, Notre Dame, Chick-fil-A, Remax, Heineken. I mean, you know, it just skyrocketed, skyrocketed from there. And we've been going, (laughs) 
no pun intended, but we've been going hot and heavy ever since. Amazing. This is so beautiful to hear. I tell you, dude. Okay. Um, I've got some questions for you. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. Of course. So, okay. So, um, concerning the um, firework, has any, anyone been seriously burnt before? No. No. Not at, not, at least not at any of my events. No. Uh, to my knowledge, no one's ever been hospitalized. Uh, I know it sounds really dangerous, but yeah. it's really not. Yeah. You know what's dangerous? Yeah. Let me tell you what's dangerous. Okay. Put your kids in soccer. <laughs> That's dangerous, right? Uh, it's not. It, it's really not. I mean, can somebody get burnt? The coals are 1,000 degrees. Of course they can. But it's a superficial burn. It's a first-degree burn. There's no second-E, th third-degree burns. You'd literally have to fall on the lane and expose your skin to get burnt back. Um, and to, again, to my knowledge, I've walked somewhere in the area of a half a million people. No one's ever been seriously burnt. But again, it, it, it's a lot safer than it sounds. It sounds really, really dangerous, but it's not. Okay. Um, what about your kids, your children? Did they really um, firework at the ages of six and nine? <laughs> yes, they did. Really? Uh, they fought, we did that uh, event, um, yeah, I think it was in 2002. Um, and we were in New York. Again, my daughter was six. My son was nine. We were with Tony Robbins. And uh, we walked all the we walked all the uh, our guests, all the participants, and uh, the, ki the kids were standing over were standing over there in the shadows. And after we walked all the participants, Tony waved them over, and they came over. And my my I took my daughter by the hand. Tony took her by the hand, and we walked her across. And my son stepped up, and my Tony looked him in at him and said, "I love you, and I love your daddy. Go." <laughs> so they walked, and of course, since that time. They've walked countless times. Oh, oh, that's that's amazing. Okay, um, the last question. Okay, what was it like working with Tony Robbins for nineteen years plus? Well, it was it was spectacular. Tony loved my family. He loved my kids, my wife. We were. Certainly, very, very good friends. Uh, we did we we done a lot of things together. We were we were together at nine eleven on the Big Island of Hawaii, um, and so yeah, he was he was warm and gracious and kind and considerate and and again he loved my kids. He just did. Uh, it was like having kids on the road with us, right? It was like they were running around and and so it was wonderful. And his wife Sage, uh, she loved my kids too. Uh, it was a great experience, and I have nothing but, you know, good things to say about how Tony Robbins treated me and my family. That's that's good to know. Okay, to round with, what would you like to say to anyone who is addicted to alcohol, those sort of things, and for that reason, their life is not going as it ought to? and they are on the path of destruction. 
and leave alone out of come out of it. What would you yeah. like to say to such a person? Reach out for help. There's help out there. On June 8th, 1988, when I woke up that morning, I was addicted to heroin, alcohol, cocaine, all three of them. Let me tell you something. That's hard. You know, it's hard enough to get off alcohol, right? Because alcohol, you got to be careful. Mm. You can you can actually die from alcohol withdrawals. Mm. You, you can have what's called delirium tremors. And, and literally, you shake so violently that your internal organs take a beating, kill you. Um, but when you add heroin and cocaine to that addiction, you know, it's, it's, I'm just going to tell you it's hard. And yet here I am. Um, I, I, I completely submitted to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. All, it was an all men's group. And so those men, they knew I was in rough shape. And they loved me. They took care of me. They told me what to do. They told me what not to do. They, they would come pick me up. They would stay with me. We'd go out to breakfast. We'd go out to lunch. We started golfing. We started playing guitar together. There were so many things that, and, and, and lucky for me, yeah. I fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, I fell in love with it. I believe it's one of the most powerful, incredible organizations on earth. Um, because again, you know, not, not only do you have the 12 steps to help put your life back together, you've got the 12 traditions that help run the group. And right there in the middle, it tells you in the preamble, it says, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. So helping other alcoholics achieve sobriety is an absolute gift. And, um, you know, my sponsors made sure that I was doing it and I was taking it really serious and nothing's changed since, you know, that day 35 years ago or so uh, since I walked into AA on the first day. Amazing. Thank you for that. And I'm so sure that someone is definitely going to benefit from what you've said. Your story. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. your story and how you got help. No. No, it is able to transform other people who were in who you were before. In God, you transform them. Thank you. Okay, so that's going to be the end of the show. Thank you for knowing the invite, Dave. You say a whole lot. Thank you so very much. Goodbye. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Take care. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this incredible episode. Your support means the world to us, and we truly value you. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback is greatly appreciated.